This is the story of the one. As a maintenance engineer, he hears things differently. To the untrained ear, everything on his shop floor might sound fine, but he can hear gears grinding or a belt slipping. So he steps in to fix the problem at hand before it gets out of hand. And he knows Granger's got the right product he needs to get the job done, which is music to his ears. Call, clickgranger.com or just stop by. Granger for the ones who get it done. What's up, you guys? Welcome to the December 20th edition of the Rotor World Fantasy Basketball Podcast. I'm Mike Gallagher. Get ready to do a brief Tuesday recap and some stats deep diving with Ryan a little bit later. But right now, we got Tommy Beer. What's up, man? Hello, hello. How's it going, sir? Pretty good, man. Got to got done with NBA like super early last night. Only three games. Late start was 8 o'clock. It was like weird. Yes. For, uh, I had the dose, so very much appreciated the early endings. Yeah, see, I had the, you and I had a similar schedule. So Monday night, I wrote the dose, and I had 10 games with injuries and just so much going on. <laughs> and like I was trying my hardest to keep it to 2,000 words. It wasn't happening. <laughs> so, yeah, you got the flip side of that. And then also, you and I, we had the morning column to kind of do like an extension off of our dose. So you and I, we both talked about one player specifically who is... And I always joke about this. Some people get on my case saying, like, oh, I'm gloating because I always tweet out, like, should I Josh, drop Josh Richardson? Yeah. And the answer right now is no. Uh, he has been incredible. Uh, I'll let you go first, and I'll, I'll clean up what you say. What would you find out about Jay Rich? Yeah, I mean, we, we pretty much talked about the the, the similar um, – his last 11 games, essentially, yeah. has just been, you know, basically what we were hoping for. You know, there was obviously some – rightfully so, some consternation uh, early in the season um, over his uh, – you know, first uh, – let me bring up the numbers here. Over his, I believe it was his first uh, 19 games. Yeah, Miami's first 19 games. He was averaging just 8.2 points. Um, relatively few boards and steals, blocks, etc. Um, the, the main issue was his efficiency. He was shooting just 35.3% from the floor and 25.3% from downtown. He ranked 216th overall in nine category nine category fa- uh, fantasy leagues during that time. Um, but right around Thanksgiving, um, he started heating up and has been the Jay Rich that we had hoped for. You know, coming into the season as one of Roto World's top uh, you know favorite sleepers. Um, and over his last 11 games, 16.7 points. Uh, some some boards, some some uh, some assists, and two point five threes, and the, the efficiency is the the real reason. He's only averaging uh, just slightly more minutes per game, only point two minutes per game, but shooting fifty four point eight percent from the floor and fifty two percent from behind the arc, and add it all up, and it's twenty sixth overall in, in uh, nine cat leagues during that stretch. So good. Uh, a couple things: one point three steals and one point zero blocks is very nice to add to that. Yeah. Um, only a 19.7 usage rate. So when you see a guy up his scoring like that to basically double it, like it's just pure efficiency. He has a 67.8 true shooting percentage. And really what the big thing has been is jumpers. So you mentioned that cold spell, um, before 35.1 effective field goal percentage on his jumpers, 66.3 in his last 11. So close to doubling that. Um, he's been open on 53 of 54 of his attempts from three in this hot stretch. Uh, he's actually been unassisted a lot on his drives and layups, which is nice to see. 
Um, we like to, so he's not getting a lot of easy cuts and st- he's like creating his own shot on twos. So again, it just lines up everything we like to see that shows it's. I mean, he's not going to be this good, but right. he's going to be more this one than the bad one. I yeah, I mean, you know, it's you know we're we're almost at Christmas now. We got a good, good solid two plus months, almost you know about you know ten weeks in the books, um, and you know it's a good reminder that going into the season there's going to be some fluctuations uh, in player performance. Um, but if you have faith in guys and trust the numbers um, that these guys have put up over a, a you know the entirety of the marathon eighty two game regular season, um, these kind of these things will ebb and flow, but overall they'll even out. So um, you know, just kind of one of those reminders that. Um, you know, stick with guys that you think will have the, the capacity to produce. Um, sometimes it's difficult uh, to stick with it, um, but if you do, um, it can, you can reap the rewards. And, and one last thing on Jay Rich, um, Spolster has been asking him to handle the ball a little bit more too, which is a which is a positive trend. Um, as you mentioned, his usage rate is never going to be high, never going to be um, over the top. Um, but with Dragic a little bit dinged up, he's handled the ball a little bit more. So we'll see if that continues going forward because that would certainly help his fantasy appeal. Yeah. Um- Dragic is now doubtful. He was said he was going to play, but you listen yep. to his quote at practice yesterday. It was like, yeah, there's a lot of pain. There's pain all the time. Uh, and this is his shooting elbow. So Not a good sign. Yeah, so definitely um, J-Rich time. And same um, with Wade. Too, he's you know he's re- you know he he seems like to me he's just a a, a little uh, in, in close to being shut down for a little bit. I know he has a bonus incentive to play at least seventy games, and you know he wants this obviously stay on the floor, but um, his his shooting elbow he's dealing with some issues too. So we'll see if he can hang in there. Quickly on him, would you call him a buy low? I've seen some like um, Jared who writes with us. He sent me a couple offers that he's trying to sell him. I guess, but he's not even close. Like. It was pretty much Mitchell for Dragic, and I said no, kind of easily. Yeah, uh, yeah. I, I'm just I, I'd hesitant, um, especially with the when guys talking about pain and all the other stuff. I, I'd probably steer clear. Yeah, it's not good. Let me. Uh, I think I pretty much summed up the quote. Let me get the details on that. Uh, I said, "Quote: smell, The swelling went down a little bit, but the pain is there, and he's going to yeah. be wearing a sleeve. He had an ultrasound on it." And then pain is, quote, always there. Like, always. Not good. Um, <laughs> Not good. And also, Deion Waiters uh, threw up after Monday's first quarter because he ate too much spaghetti. So, spaghetti, <laughs> spaghetti, spaghetti. But, but don't call him fat. I'm in the best <laughs> Yeah, exactly. Uh, so, just quickly on Tuesday. Again, not much action, but we do want to talk about Anthony Davis. Hurt his wrist, had his right wrist taped up, and he had tape up his right index finger. Um, so, I'm not going to get into details there. Did he return? Uh, so, like this guy, man, Mister Locker Room, uh, leads the league in trips to the locker room by by a wide margin. By oh my LeBron. god, yeah. Yes. Like there has to be. I don't even. I can't even imagine who's even close. Last year, I think CJ Miles was number two. Like CJ Miles always went to the locker room last year, but this year there's really no other guy I could think of that makes. Oh well, I guess Rodney Hood for. Yeah, reasons. he's probably number two on the Mount Rushmore. Anything you want to add? I mean, this is just kind of is what it is. Like he's gonna go yeah. to the locker room. You know the deal. Um, you draft AD. Um, you know if you get seventy five games like last year, there's a good chance you're going to win your league. Um, but even so, um, you're going to deal with a lot of stress, anxiety, agita, um, because you're going to get blurps on your phone um, and mobile notifications that AD is back in the locker room. But hopefully you get a, the next one about 10 minutes later. He's back on the bench and then back on the floor. Um, you know what it is going in. You just got to keep your fingers crossed with this dude. Yeah. I mean, there's two Twitter accounts that are, is the brow hurt yet? <laughs> That's so bad. 
it's the, the interesting thing to me is that it kind of brought up with Woj's article about Davis is is what would the Celtics give up or any team be willing to give up, up for Davis is is kind of a fascinating issue. I mean, you have to think you'd give up whatever it takes um, because the guy, when healthy, is that good. I mean, he's still so young, has the potential to be the best player in the NBA. You know, in the next you know four or five years, he is that good. Um, but you know, is is he, he's avoided serious injury up to this point essentially, um, but is one of those you know season enders around the corner. Um, it's fascinating to think about what he's worth, not only in terms of fantasy, but in, in real life value as well. So the other big man injury is Joel Embiid, probably going to miss two more. So how dumb? Maybe that's not the right word, but I guess how much do they regret? playing him 49 minutes like come on dude everyone knew like what are you doing man literally literally everybody it's not nobody second guessed it everybody first guessed it yeah okay he played well in in overtime you got to take him out then the second overtime then i mean it was just like dude you gotta you gotta understand what's going on here and 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 use your common sense and they're terrible like they lost that game last night man they blew that thing so the kings 16-point 16 16 point lead in the second half. That's an inexcusable loss yeah, at home. Their offense just fell apart. If they want to make the playoffs, those are games you need to win at home. Yeah, that that's a bad one. Like If they miss the playoffs or miss a seed by a game, this is that the game they're going to point to. Yep. So I, I guess we're good there. And then just quickly on LeBron, if you notice, LeBron only played four minutes in the fourth quarter, and he was ridiculous. Um, 72 shooting, but small sample, but a 68.2 as usage rate uh, in the fourth. So... <laughs> Um, that upped, and I wrote a little bit about. I don't, don't want to go too deep because we talk about LeBron all the time. But fourth quarter alone, thirty nine point five usage rate, sixty four point nine true shooting. But that's not even that great. Like his quarter breakdown, sixty eight, sixty eight, sixty three. Like every quarter, it's just the usage rate just goes so high in the fourth. But remember, LeBron's not clutch, and <laughs> yeah. the, and the Cavs won't be able to close out games without Kyrie. Remember that. So, that guy. The LeBron clutch take is like the worst take. Anybody who it's says dumbest, that of is, all the dumb LeBron takes, it's probably the dumbest of 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 all them all. And there's a lot of dumb ones out there, but for for over a decade now, that that's been the leader in the clubhouse for the dumbest. Yeah, I wrote a column about it last year about his clutch numbers, and like they blow Kobe out of the water. Like, yep, not even close. Maybe like the last like shot. It's, it's such a small sample, but like it's right, just the right. worst take. Um, okay, so let's run through your article. Uh, for notable numbers, talked about Jay Rich already. Uh, Miritich really fast. They closed with Miritich and Market in the last game. He's just unreal. Another uh, fourth quarter superstar, a la yep. LeBron. Uh, let me pull the numbers up. I I had written the other day. It, it's high. I'll let you go first while I look that up. What, what, do, you, what do you think about Miritich? Um, yeah, I mean, just I was actually high on him. Um, I, I I've stashed him in our in a charity stripe league we're in, and and a couple other places. Um, so I, I was surprised at how down people were on him coming into the season. Obviously, once he got hurt, that decreased his value incredibly. Um, but even coming back, people were kind of hesitant to, to buy in. Um, for his price, I'm, you know, at this point, obviously, it's, it's skyrocketed. But um, I was high in Miritich. Um, you know, he finished just outside the top 100 last season, playing 24 minutes a night. In 15-16, he was inside the top 100, 88th overall in nine cat leagues in under 25 minutes of action. Um, and he showed why over the last uh, couple, uh, last four games actually averaging 24.3 points uh, shooting over 53 percent from the floor 9.3 rebounds three triples um, he gets some steals 
Um, and yes, his numbers will come back down to earth a little bit because um, they have a bit of a logjam there. Marketing has obviously returned, um, as you mentioned, and Bobby Portis has play, been playing well. Um, but if you give Miritich, you know, you know, 26, 28 minutes a night, he's going to put up solid all-around numbers. Um, so I'm not willing to, you know, sell high um, unless I get a, you know, really solid offer. But um, I'm going to ride it out for a little while, and um, I, I think there's um, even even when he comes back down to earth. Um, there's still some meat left on the bone. I think it's going to be a solid contributor, you know, top, um, top 100, you know, in that 80 to, to 90 range all season long. Yeah, he's been fantasy friendly for a long time. He'll go through those cold yep. spells and get benched yep. for defense and all that, which we haven't had yet. So, right. I, I mean, if, like you said, if you can get like top 50 for him, yeah, yes. I'd be about Absolutely. that. Um, a couple things to note. Fourth quarter, 28 usage rate, 73 true shooting, 131 offensive rating in 39 minutes in the fourth quarter. Um, also six minutes on the season with Marketing and Miritich together, and they even ran a Miritich Portis Marketing lineup for just a couple possessions. But still noteworthy that that's in the toolbox. Yes, I obviously love it if they could move Portis, and that would really clean up some minutes both Marketing and Nico. Um, but even if those three guys are around, there's uh, you know the Bulls have very little else in terms of. Um, uh, you know, depth and offensive production. Although um, Dunn has been playing well, and we'll see what's that when when Levine gets back. But um, Miritich still has, um, you know, still has plenty of reason to be optimistic going forward. I'm not really too worried about Levine affecting Holiday or Nawaba in a deeper league. Obviously, I think Denzel Valentine and Zipster yeah. would be the guys yep. that fade. Yep. And I don't think Chris Dunn's going to be a, a big loser. I. I don't think Levine's going to come back and play 37 minutes a game. Like, this- and, he, and even if he does, I think Dunn has solidified his position. He's really, you know, he's he's the, the Bulls are forever, you know, that uh, much like the the Pacers trade, um, that Bulls trade looks a little bit better, you know, each each week, each day, um, uh, from what we've seen from Dunn and Markkinen. So, uh, you know, we'll see, and, and obviously Levine coming back, we'll see what plays out. Yeah, who would have thought that we're talking about the Bulls offense being good? <laughs> I- <laughs> Um, okay, so we did talk. You got a little Serge Ibaka in there. Dinged up off the injury report, though, so that's good. Um, yes. He's ready to roll, and he's been hot shooting and really just everywhere. What do you think? Yeah, you know, just the, the Ibaka of the, the OKC Ibaka that we all fell in love with a few years ago. Not Obviously not the same number of blocks, but, um, you know, points, boards, uh, plenty of threes, 2.9 threes. Um, in December, so almost three, three, threes a game um, is obviously encouraging. Um, you know, hopefully he doesn't get cooled off. He sat out Sunday night, as he mentioned, due to the sore knee, but not on the injury report, which is encouraging. So, assuming he's back there in the lineup, um, you know, hopefully they'll they'll keep running him out nearly 30 minutes a night. Um, he's one of those guys that um, if you if you play in a league with a lazy owner, they might not have noticed that that Ibaka's starting to play a little bit better. You may be able to scoop him up while his, his price is still relatively low. And he, like we said, draft day. Like you're gonna take Serge Ibaka, and you're probably gonna make money on it as far as yep. yield on your in- investment. But it's just not fun pick. Like so, while we were picking Aaron Gordon or Depot or whoever, like Ibaka was there, and he was definitely. We knew he wasn't gonna bust you unless he got hurt. Nope. Like, he was nope. one of the highest floor picks, and now it's showing some high ceiling too. Absolutely. Uh, so Rocco uh, cooled off again, which we kind of saw. Um, he wasn't gonna hit 48 percent all season. Right. Um, where where are we at on on him? Um, again, this guy is prone to prolonged slumps. Yeah, you know, he's one of those guys. Uh, you you got to ride the ride the roller coaster a little bit. Um, first er, first eighteen games was at sixteen points a contest. 
um, shooting, as you mentioned, 48% and also 46.2% from three. Um, he's come way back down to earth over the last 10 games, um, just 34.1% from the floor and 30% from deep. Um, last night, actually, he was two of 13 from, from long range. Um, the one thing I'd like to, just watching the game, the one thing you'd like to see from him is when the shot's not falling, is not to be so reliant on it because he's athletic enough and has a decent enough handle um, that he could get to the basket. Um, but, um, you know, as we talked about with, with Richardson, um, these guys that are going to go through their, their ebbs and ups and downs and, you know, you just got to ride this out. Um, and those numbers will, you know, progress to the mean and or regress to the mean, um, whether they're running hot or cold, but at the end of the season, um, he's certainly a guy that's going to put up good numbers. So quick tangent, Mitchell's out tonight. Oh, that's no fun. That's no fun. So Rodney, I think Thabo is going to play a lot. I think Thabo's going to play a lot on Westbrook. Yeah, um, you know, Hood and Burks. Burks yeah. may be a guy you look at at DFS. Yeah, Hood, Burks for sure. Um, Joe Johnson will benefit a little bit. I think Ricky Rubio's in a decent spot, even though it's a bad matchup. See if he can kind of get the ball rolling. Is, is, did they any update in terms of severity? Is it just one game or is it? It's just a great toe sprain, so it's probably just ling- – it may linger though. Like I've had a toe thing, and sometimes you need a week off to get it right. Yeah, it's yeah those, things, those things can be annoying. Yeah, so they probably just want to hold him out and get him right. All right. Um, yeah, we'll probably see a little more Royce, Royce O'Neal. That's kind of it. But, yeah, Rodney Hood looks like he's going to be – I hope Rodney Hood stays off the bench because that way he would avoid Robertson a little bit. True. So, but major buzzkill, man. I was looking forward to that. Yeah. Um, Favors is back, though. So, if you're not playing, you don't know. Okay. Okay. Yeah. Okay. So, moving along here. What else do we got? We got uh, Sabonis. So, Miles Turner's dinged up, I think. Uh, didn't play in the last 10 minutes of the last game. And Sabonis has played well. I think in their last, like, 15 games together, they played, like, 30, 40 minutes. And it's, like, plus 7 net rating, which is pretty good for a lineup that wasn't supposed to work. So, um, obviously, Victor Oladipo is still on the show. But what do you think about Sabonis? Yeah, Sabonis has been good. Um, a little per, uh, a little basketball reference gem here. Um, Sabonis is on pace to become the uh, just the second player in NBA history. Um, Bill Walton is the other to average at least twelve points, eight rebounds, and two assists in under twenty five minutes per game. Um, so that kind of speaks to his efficiency um, on, in the minutes on the floor. His his per thirty six are obviously encouraging. So yeah, he's one of those guys. If uh, Turner gets dinged up, uh, his value goes way up. Um, uh, same for Thad Young. Thad Young, uh, if he misses time, um, obviously Sabonis' minutes would, would increase greatly. Um, but even in the, in the time he's playing, he's one of those guys that's just a, a valuable contributor, make a profit off him. Um, and, uh, you know, again, even in less than 25 minutes, he's going to shoot, he's going to be efficient from the floor, um, you know, and, and stuff the statute a little bit. So um, one of those guys you can win with, especially in deeper leagues. So in like 30 years, Sabonis is going to be doing Pac-12 games with tie-dye shirts and just taking outlandish statements all the time. Is that what you're saying? We can only hope. I, I, I want Bill Walton to do more NBA games. I do man. too. I, re- I like him, man. People get yeah, on, but... He's entertaining. Yeah, he's yeah he's entertaining. He knows the game too. Like, it's, yes! He's out there. So, he's, uh, he's always a good listen. So another uh, story that we've... Everyone is, is the mainstream... Pretty much the mainstream story the month. I think is Oklahoma City struggling. Um, I've mentioned a few times how Westbrook and Paul George are better without Melo than with him. And then another stat I had looked up was last 14 usage rates. Westbrook 36.3, Paul George 24.1, Carmelo Anthony 21.6, Raymond Felton and Kyle Singer have higher usage rates than Carmelo Anthony. 
Wow. <laughs> yeah, the last 14, so this isn't a small sample. Uh, so what else you find out? Mello's going to get upset. And that, that, that relationship is not going to end well, I don't think. Mm. First, and and Mello's going to opt into his contract. So I think there's going to be a, a confrontation at some point between Westbrook and Mello or a, a subtweet or, a, or a, you know some type of Instagram post. Um, Mello is – it'll be interesting to see how Mello responds. Um, the one interesting stat I found was um, there's only three players in the NBA this season that are averaging at least 15 shots a night and also shooting below 42% from the floor. And yep, you guessed it. All three players are on the Thunder: Westbrook, George, and Melo. The only three players in the league shooting below forty-two percent while also attempting at least fifteen field goals a night. There's, their offense is just broken. Like for instance, they are number two in isolation possessions, and they score only point eight four points per possession on that play. The Rockets are first, one point one four. So that's a let me see what the percentage difference on that is. 37% increase on that play. So, yeah, that's a bad play, man. And actually, Ryan and I are going to get into this in the next segment, um, breaking down what points per possession, how, why we really love those stats for projecting fantasy points. Um, so stay tuned for that in a second. But, yeah, like we said, we, we're kind of all over this. What, I think Westbrook's about to get hot, man. I've been of the three. Paul George has cooled off, but I, I want him at 25, 26 usage rate. He's right there knocking on the door, even with Westbrook going hot. So this offense has kind of figured itself out. Like I know Carmelo's the the boy again, the the robe god for the bodega run with the monogram, but uh, <laughs> he's not playing well, man. No, he's not. We talked about it last week, so it'll it'll be. You, you assume he's gonna he's gonna bounce back in those, um, but uh, it just it doesn't he doesn't seem comfortable playing alongside Westbrook. We'll see how those two um, if they can uh, increase their chemistry a little bit going forward. For sure, man. So lots of stuff going on tonight. We'll definitely be watching to see what OKC does. All right, so we're going to move on here, man. Uh, thanks so much. Thanks for having me, buddy. Okay, moving on. Uh, we're going to talk one of my favorite topics here. That is statistics and breaking down kind of the evolution of efficiency stats and really just everything that we talk about from day to day, whether it be on Twitter, especially in the blurbs. So we had some people reach out and wanted to know some details. So we got the man to do so. Uh, Ryan Kanas, what's up, man? Uh, not much. I'm with you. I love this topic. Um, yeah. So I, w- I was happy to have an excuse when uh, a reader asked us to clarify some advanced stats. Uh, things that we use a lot in blurbs, um, columns like usage rate, uh, you know, effective field goal percentage, pace, defensive rating, uh, things of that nature. So I'll be talking about that in my column today. But um, yeah, we could also chat about it right now. Yeah, definitely. Book like When Ryan puts that out, bookmark that for sure. If you're kind of getting new to the game and you know, you're... It's kind of weird because we looked at field goal percentage, which is a fantasy category, but like I, I will get to that in a second. But like the relevance for how efficient a player is, I hate that, which we'll get to. Um, but I do want to kick it off with usage rate, which for DFS, this is the stat you need to you need to track because it's basically the percentage of possessions that you use over your team. So you're talking about free throws with uh, I think it's point four four if you're going to get specific in the equation plus field goal attempts, plus turnovers divided by your team's usage of those. So when we hear Russell Westbrook has a 40 usage rate, that means he is ending 40% of his team's possession, which is ridiculously high NBA record last year. Um, And again, you want guys with the ball. So consequently, there is high turnovers like DeMarcus Cousins. His turnover rate's really high. So the reason why he comes in so high in usage rate is because he turns the ball over so much. Uh, He's just been crazy in that stat. Um, so anything you want to add and yeah, just love that set. 
yeah, no, I mean, you mentioned Westbrook at 40% last year. That is nuts. And to put that into context, the, the highest player this year is James Harden at 35.7. So Westbrook was almost 5% higher than the league leader this year. He, um, he killed Kobe. He beat Kobe by like 2% for the record. Yeah. Like, it wasn't I mean, even close. So, it was no. a walk. Um, but yeah, I mean, you mentioned the importance for DFS, and I think that's where usage really shines. Um, I did an, an analysis last year where I looked at the correlation of different metrics with overall DFS value, and what I found was that points were number one. They were they had a correlation. Basically, if it's if it's a one point zero, it's one to one. If points increase, DFS value increases. Um, points were a point eight eight, which is a very strong positive. Uh, usage was the second most important indicator of DFS value at 0.72. It was higher than assists, higher than rebounds, steals, blocks. So it's just a very good bellwether for a, a player's value. If they get high usage, if their usage is trending up, um, that's almost inevitably a good sign. Yeah, like Victor Oladipo is really the poster child for that. Uh, usage rate has come up like 10%, um, along with more minutes and more other stats too. Like his defensive yep. stats are killer, which and- is why Oladipo has been so awesome this year. Yeah, and you look at a guy like Carmelo Anthony, who relies a lot on scoring, obviously. Um, he had a usage rate north of 29% last year, but now he's playing along Paul George and Westbrook, and it's down to 24, somewhere in around 24%. So I dro- that, you missed the nugget I dropped dip. in the, sorry, I was, you missed the nugget I dropped in the last pod, last or in the last segment. Usage rate last 14, 36 for Westbrook, 24 for Paul George, 21.6 for Melo. Yeah, see? I mean, that's not sustainable. So, especially for a guy who doesn't get a lot of defensive stats, not going to give you many assists, uh, that's that's a really bad sign. Yeah, so usage rate, again, all these stats. NBA.com, in the, in the last two years, they've really stepped up their game. That's kind of my go-to. Um, nine times out of ten, I'm going to get a stat off there. Um, and they have a nice little search bar, so if you want to get more into stats... That's a great place to start. Uh, just really get acquainted with that website. I'm, I'm on there, and I'm sure you are too. Like way, way too much. For sure. Uh, anything else you want to add usage rate before we get into efficiency? No, let's move along. There's a lot of, lot of different stats to talk yeah, about. Yeah, so okay. Again, if you play 9-cat or 8-cat or whatever cat and you're using field goal percentage, that matters, right? So if we use that, and like I don't like using that stat to cite efficiency, but by the same token, that's fantasy value. So, again, field goal percentage is basic. How many percent shots do you make? But, like, I always, when I explain this, if you've ever seen the, the brain meme, where it has, like, the brain that's not glowing at all, and then the one that's growing a little bit more, and then one that's, like, shining, field goal percentage is, like, the regular brain. Like, because it just doesn't have anything weight to it. It's just, because shots aren't the same. You're going to get to the free throw line. There's turnovers that are going to be a factor. Three-pointers are going to be a factor. There's so many things that affect your efficiency other than how, like, if you made, say you made 10 out of 10 shots and you scored 20 points, whereas if a guy made eight shots out of 10 and he made all threes, that's more efficient. Uh, So, and he didn't turn the, like, say you had, like, Westbrook, for instance. If he shoots the ball 10 times and makes one, and he turned the ball over seven times, you're taught, and he won't put free throws in there. Like seven turnovers, ten shots, that's seventeen possessions that you're using. And if you're barely scoring, then it's terrible what you're gonna get into. But I hate I hate like whenever I see and actually a couple like the Wolves do it, the Jazz do it, a couple other teams are starting to work in EFG as like the baseline for efficiency. I love that. Um so I like field is a dinosaur stat, man. I hate it. 
Yeah, it is. And tr- so true shooting percentage, um, for people who are new to these numbers, that, that that just basically takes the value of three-pointers and free throws and adds them to conventional two-point shots. So it captures all of your shooting. Um, effective field goal percentage includes three-pointers as being one and a half times more valuable than a typical two-point shot, but doesn't account for free throws. But both of them are as Mike as Mike articulated, much better indicators of your overall efficiency than just plain old field goal percentage, which can be very misleading. Um, for fantasy, it gets a little trickier. I think because I've been playing nine cat for fifteen years, I'm just so used to normal field goal percentage that I, it, it's sort of ingrained in me. And you are capturing three pointers to some extent because that's its own category. Uh, turnovers are their own category, so you do get penalized for that. So I think baked into it, there's a little bit more parity. Um, and if you did use something like effective field goal percentage, now you're almost double counting free throws and three-pointers, if you get what I'm saying, if those are also separate categories. So it becomes a little bit tricky. But um, I've I've personally never played in a fantasy league that uses EFG or true shooting instead of regular field goal percentage. Um, have you heard of anything like that? No. I've always I've talked about that for a couple of years now, and I haven't done it. But like you said, that would just – your three-point studs, like Curry would just be ridiculous. Yeah. So yeah. I, I think you'd have to almost adjust for that. It gets it, it gets tricky, but it's an interesting concept. And for sure, if you're just looking at, you know, as a fan, looking at players for efficiency, uh, use one of these advanced stats, please. Yeah, for sure. Um, to, just to kind of put these numbers in perspective, um, the league averages. So field goal percentage is 456 if you're going for effective field goal percentage, especially with all the NBA three-pointers nowadays, that's up to 52.0 this year. I think that's a record. It wow. is. It is a record. It's the most, the highest EFG ever in the NBA with last year's second closest. Uh, and the year before that, the third closest. And this is all because of three-pointers. And when you see guys who are having their quote-unquote... Like I always cite, I did yesterday... Um, LeBron's on pace to be the first player, second player, excuse me, to go 65 true shooting, 30 usage rate. The other one, Stephen Curry, MVP, unanimous season. Um, so, yeah, and that's because, again, three-pointers. LeBron's been killer from three-pointers relative to how he's been doing. Um, and then true shooting, I didn't calculate the actual average, but I did look up the median, who's our boy, Josh Richardson. Uh, he <laughs> comes in at 54.7. It's a lot higher lately. Um, so yeah, you're looking at like when you see true shooting, you want to be around 55. You know, you want to be around 53 effective field goal percentage for average. And then I always say 60 is the mark. Like if you get 60 true shooting, you're really good. If you're 65, you're awesome. If you're 70, you're just rolling. So uh, and then the flip side, if you're below 50, bad. Below 45, terrible. Below 40, horrendous. Stop shooting the ball. Yeah. Um, so um, yeah. anything you want to add before we get to the last efficiency stat? No, it's just interesting on true shooting to see. It's usually the league leaders, especially this year, are just big men who score right at the rim. You're talking Clint Capella, Tyson Chandler's always up there, uh, Dwayne Dedman. And then three-point specialists, guys who just, just get wide open, catch-and-shoot looks. Uh, Jose Calderon is a surprising guy right up there. Tony Snell, just a three-point sniper. Uh, Omri Caspi. And then, as you mentioned, LeBron. And I'm, it's intriguing to see Jason Tatum, who's right up there among qualifying leaders in true shooting percentage at almost 65%. And for a rookie who gets his buckets in a variety of different ways, that's just incredibly impressive. So keeper and dynasty league owners, take note. Beautiful segue, because Jason Tatum, 
among players with 10 possessions. That's uh, very, very small. So most of the people that are above Jason Tatum's 95th percentile are like, and they're perimeter guys, they're like barely getting there. They had like a hot like two minutes and it kept them high. But he has a 1.17 points per possession. So that's because he doesn't turn the ball over. He's just ridiculous on every single play tape. I wrote about this a little bit on Tuesday morning. Like, he's just so incredible. So points per possession is as simple as it sounds. How many points do you score per possession you use? So this is really what I think encapsulates the best. It has everything. Because you don't want to, like, if you could, like, okay, so say you have a 100 usage rate, you know, on five possessions. You use all five possessions. You turn the ball over five times. Like, that's bad. (laughs) Or even if you had one make and you turn the ball over four times, that's .2 points per possession, which is awful. So league average on that is about, it's just a shade below one. So, yeah, if guys, anybody over like one one's awesome. If you're close to one two, you're phenomenal. And if anything above that, like you're like, when Curry was red, red hot from three, he was like 1.6 on spot up threes or something. It was just nuts. Or even maybe even higher. Um, so, yeah, it, it's, I, I love points per possession. And really synergy is what's been driving that stat. Yeah. Yeah, fortunately, NBA.com has a deal with Synergy, so all of their content gets piped in. Nice sortable sheets for you. I mean, it's all right there. And I use that as the bedrock for uh, popular column team matchups versus positions. I also have one of uh, fantasy matchups by play type. So I love digging into this, and I know the average fantasy owner probably doesn't have the time to do it, which is why I try to put together charts where you just look at one chart, all the information is there. So you could see, for instance, um, the best and worst teams to face. Like if you have an ISO-heavy player, uh, James Harden, Tyreek Evans, uh, Eric Bledsoe gets a lot of ISOs, um, and the most the most possessions, like Harden leads the league at 8.4 ISOs per game. Second closest is LeBron at 6.4. So Harden's basically matchup proof, but if you're looking for a particularly good matchup in DFS or something, uh, the, the Cavaliers are giving up the most points per possession in isolations. So boom, right there, you've got a, a golden matchup to target. Um, it's just it's very easy to pick out matchups like that. When you see a player's strengths, what they rely on, then just click on another tab and you can see which teams to target, which teams to avoid. Uh, s- simple as that. I, I Yeah, I love points per possession data. Yeah, to dig more deeper into the playtest, which you mentioned too, like for a great example for tonight if you're playing DFS, uh, pick and roll plus passes is on Synergy. They'll let you know. They'll also bake in how many passes and turnovers and stuff which is pretty awesome. So like the Kings, for instance, they're dead last on pick-and-roll defense plus passes. The Nets run that play a lot. So based on that, you would think Spencer Dinwiddie, I love him for DFS tonight. So like stuff like that. And play types, which, I mean, if you're an NBA player, you should have a pretty good idea what these play types are. We don't really use that for blurbs too much because we try to keep it short. But like if it stands out, like if he's running a particular play a lot and just killing on that, we'll probably sneak it in there. Cause it's, we have to write about these guys 50 times a year. <laughs> like we, um, the, the, we write about LeBron every time we write about Westbrook every time. So, you know, we kind of mix it up there. Anything else on efficiency slash play types? Uh, no, I mean, th- there's all sorts of things. I encourage people to just dig around NBA.com and, you know, if you have a free half hour, it's a lot of interesting things you can dig up. Like I'm looking at, yeah, yeah. Or a free weekend. <laughs> I'm looking at, uh, something right now. Like you could see which players rely 
most heavily on free throws. So, for instance, Rudy Gobert and DeMar DeRozan both get 27% of their points at the free throw line. Um, that's that's huge. That's, you know, jo- Joel Embiid's a little bit higher. Um, Jeremy Lin was way up there, but he only played half a game. So, basically, those are, those are your league leaders in terms of how reliant they are on free throws. Now, you can very quickly cross-reference that with teams who allow the fewest free throws. So the, the Wolves allow just 18.5 per game compared to the league-leading Sixers who give up 27 per game. So that's a huge swing. And if you have a player who needs to get to the free throw line to generate scoring, tar- sure, target the Sixers, target the Bucks, and avoid the Wolves if you can. Yep. Sounds good. So let's talk um, offensive efficiency and defensive efficiency. So this stat, if you know it, this is this stat has really come up. Like we're waiting for field goal percentage to go away, but per possession stats are really the thing. Uh, and people call this "quote unquote" analytics. I don't think it is. But so if your if your offensive rating and defensive rating is the amount of points you would score per 100 possessions, so the league average on that, according to Basketball Reference, is 107.5. Um, that I think last year was the record. Yes, last year was the record at 108.8. So just to shade off, again, this is because of three-pointers. So, um, again, we you want to see guys just over 100. And I like we always I always say over 110 is good, over 115 is really good, over 120 is awesome. And on, on the flip side, defensive, if you're giving up 100. And the, actually, the Magic, their starting unit with Shelvin Mack is like 139 defensive rating. <laughs> so that means that they played 100. And the league average by, to tie into pace the league average on pace is it's just a shade under her. 97.4 pace. So that's the amount of possessions used per game. So if you're, you know, about 100. So that means if they played a full game, that lineup would give up 130 points. So, um, yeah, the, the, very important. The reason why this is so important to me is because coaches use this. You could tell which coaches use defensive rating and offensive rating for what lineups they want to use. Particularly Brad Stevens and Terry Stotts jump out to me. Like I will, and also Luke Walton's really big on this, from what I've noticed. So like coaches want to know what lineups are good, and they want to use them in the right position. So knowing that information is super valuable because in fantasy, especially DFS, you really want to know what the coach is going to do. So you want to know what cheap guy you want to play, what stud you do or don't want to play, based on how those lineups do in certain situations against other lineups. And also tied into that too is I always look at starting lineups defensive rating for matchups so like for instance although the the Raptors defense has been really good lately but earlier this season their defense in the first unit was bad but their defense in the second unit was phenomenal so like you look at that like okay this looks like a good matchup but it's not quite as good because the starters aren't as valuable based on what their offense and defense look like just in the starting unit okay your turn Uh, no, I mean, you, that was a whirlwind, but you, you covered the key points, I think. You, the, the fact that coaches do look at this, so if a player happens to be very effective with the second unit, odds are they're going to stay with that second unit and you know maybe get some more minutes with that group, things like that. So it's an easy way to, you know, if you see, for instance, a guy like OG Ananobi for the Raptors, He's been starting, and his offensive rating is sixth best among qualifying players. Um, he's also number nine overall in defensive rating. So do you think he's going to go anywhere? No. He's he's locked into that job. So that doesn't mean that he's going to be a, a fantasy asset off the bat necessarily. But again, if you're in a, you know, if you're taking a longer lens here in a keeper league or something, that stands out. That looks great, and you'd be crazy to think Dwayne Casey doesn't notice that. Um, One thing I should clarify too, and this is some people I feel like 
I see some people mainstream that may not understand it. It's like that is a team stat. Oh like, yeah, you could be the worst player in basketball. You could have an awesome offensive. Like OG Ananobi's not the sixth best offensive player in basketball. No, no, this was right, my right. yeah. So, so, so I was saying there are ways to use it, knowing that his role is probably safe. Uh, as you mentioned, looking at at very tough defensive units for matchup purposes. Of course. Um, but yeah, I, I was going to make that same point. Like, Sean Livingston is number nine in overall offensive rating. That's not because he's such a dynamic scorer who can just break you down one on one. I mean, yeah, he's, he's, if he gets a smaller guard on him, he's probably going to make a jumper. Um, but yeah, that's just the fact that he's playing with superstars. Yeah. So I don't necessarily look at this and think like, oh, I need Kyle Korver because of his number seven offensive rating. No, he's still just a low-end three-point specialist. Uh, so it can be misleading, but if you use if you use offensive-defensive rating appropriately, I think it, it can be a useful tool for fantasy. So I think what would be a good way to phrase it is maybe net rating, which is the difference of offensive and defensive, obviously. That is like a measurement of how solidified your role is. Like, if you have a high net rating in whatever role you're in and, you know, everyone else is doing well, then that's your role. Whereas, like, the Pistons, for instance, they had a cold spell and Stanley Johnson got, like, that, when you see net rating start to slide, that means changes could be coming. So when we track, and I usually track this once a week, I tweet it out, like, which lineups have been really, really bad over an X amount of sample. So, like, that, I think that's a good way to, to maybe use that stat. So worst player in the league with at least 15 minutes per game so far has been Jalil Okafor at minus 39.3 net rating. Um, he's easily the worst. Obviously, small sample size, so not really fair to pick, a, pick on him. Nice and neat 48 minutes. Just like a basketball game. So, uh, yeah. Uh, yeah, again, samples everything, too. Like, when we look, I mean, if you go on, and I love lineups, um, NBA.com, uh, the lineup slash stats, and click lineups is a little tab there. You could just go nuts, and you want a good sample. Like I think, obviously, the bigger the sample, the more telling. But then again, on the flip side, teams go cold. So if you're looking at a huge sample, like the Wolves with their 650 minutes, they're better now um, defensively. So you do want to cut that sample a little bit based on how they're playing lately. Um, but yeah, you really don't want to use a four or five minute sample to make any judgments is kind of what I'm getting at. Unless they're like like the Magic, for instance. They're going to be small samples. The guys are hurt. So they're going with what they have to, to tell. And Vogel, I think, has kind of been hip to net ratings from what I've kind of noticed. Like, I feel like he's tweaking rotation spots. And I don't think he's going to play Shelby Mack too much more at the two. So, anything you want to add there? Uh, nope. All right, what else we got? Uh, there's all sorts of stuff. One thing I like in in terms of advanced stats can kind of help you pick out are role players who, if they get more minutes, could suddenly become fantasy relevant, uh, or even just kind of mid range guys. So you look at something like like points per touch. Um, see a guy like like Troy Daniels on the Suns is at point four three points per touch. Mm. Um, which is like right up there among the league leaders uh, with Hassan Whiteside, who just touches it right right at the basket most of the time. Uh, Eric Gordon leads the league in this, which I think is interesting. Um, but yeah, so you know if the Suns late in the season start start to turn Troy Daniels loose or Devin Booker's ruled out for even longer than we we might think, uh, suddenly you know if his role expands, he could be quite a valuable offensive weapon. Um, there's all sorts of things like that you could dig up. Yeah, there's so much. We could spend pretty much all day 
Um, I love their tracking stats. Um, again, if you go to NBA.com slash stats, hit the search bar in the upper right, pick a player. Um, then you'll see a little tab come out um, on the left side. And you could, like like I said, you could spend a whole weekend. You could spend your whole life, uh, <laughs> which is basically like you and me. Well, um, particularly because NBA.com now has advanced box scores. So you could you could look at a player's usage rate for every game this season, how it's gone up or down, which relates to what we were talking about earlier. Um, they also, you could click on a given game and see every play. You could see every basket that a player made, every block they had, every assist. It's... It's crazy, and <laughs> it's a lot of fun. And if you if you don't get a chance to watch a team like the Pacers, like I had someone ask me the other day, is Victor Oladipo for real? And I, basically my response was, you clearly don't watch the Pacers enough. Um, and you don't have to sit down and spend three hours of your life watching every game. You could just go in and watch the highlights and see how he's generating his points. Is he you know is he getting them assisted or unassisted? Mm-hmm. Uh, it's a, it's a great way to get a feel for a player. Like Josh Richardson, for instance, in the column I wrote, assisted on every three-pointer he's made. Wow, that's so, something. But in, in this hot 11-game stretch. Um, and then also he was uh, unassisted on a lot of twos he was making, so it wasn't all threes, and he was still doing some stuff. And a good a good book, if you're into this, uh, I haven't read it, and I've been meaning to. Um, Dean Oliver wrote a book called Basketball on Paper, which is pretty much what we're talking about. Um, it just talks about how, and there's so many things you could just dive into and there's other stats too. We really don't cite, uh, PER, which I, of the like PER, VORP, value over replacement player and real plus minus. Do you have like a, I think those are kind of the big analytic stats, um, which I don't really want to get into this, but it basically just calculates how good a player's, um, the NBA.com uses PI, player impact efficiency, which Mm -hmm. is basically, um, the percentage of the of the game you impact. So 10 players in the court averages 10. If you're awesome, you're 20. You're high teens or whatever. And if you're bad, you're single digits. Do you have like a favorite? I don't like PER. I, I think PER is misleading because it's so box score dependent. Like Russell Westbrook is always ridiculous in PER because his box scores are insane. But it doesn't really value efficiency where uh, real plus minus is a lot of net rating based. So we saw Jimmy Butler, for instance, last year was really high and real plus minus because his net rating was so much better than the rest of the Bulls last year. Yeah, it's they're all interesting. I think they all have their their benefits and maybe their their negatives. Um I don't think there's one that I that I look to and say, "Oh, this is this is the way you should value players." But I'm with you. I think PER it doesn't account for whether shots are assisted or unassisted, which can be very different like if you're a player who generates a lot of your own scoring that's a unique skill that should be captured in some way um but i don't know they're all interesting honestly i don't look at any of them for fantasy yeah they're not fantasy related and like we said it's more of like role players guys and i don't think the coaches really lead into that they really care more about their lineup combinations but like if a guy has a really bad defensive plus minus that basically means that their defensive rating relative to their team is just awful um, that's kind of, yeah. I, I kind of like that one because you, I, I like my matchup combinations and stuff. So I think I'd probably lean more on that than I do with PER or VORP, which I also think is a pretty good one. Yeah. Well, like real plus minus, I'm looking at the leaders for this season and it's James Harden, LeBron, Curry, Giannis, Chris Paul, Jimmy Butler. Yeah. Um, then at number eight, you see Robert Covington and, uh, Durant is down there at number 21. So it, you know, it, I don't think you're going to make the case that, Covington's more important to his team even really than Durant is to the Warriors. So 
there's always going to be asterisks yeah. flying around. And I mean, David West at number 19. So take them, take it all with a grain of salt. If you find one you like, good. It's it's better for just debating things with friends, I think. Yeah, for sure. Like it's more the the people who do like real basketball kind of like I don't think I've ever cited unless I was like doing a deep dive and just throwing it out there. Like I won't I won't really explain how that has value, but I just want to throw that out there if anyone's kind of new to those stats. I think we got everything that we wanted to get. Anything else? No, we'll leave it there. I'm sure people listening have heard enough advanced stats yeah, for one right. podcast. Yeah, so hopefully this is helpful. Um, even if it wasn't helpful, maybe just to get our... Uh, if, like, if you're a big stats guy like we are, and just wanted to kind of get our take on stats. It was fun, man. I, I could do this all day. Yeah, this is a great topic. We should we should revisit it every so often. For sure. Maybe we can go over like advanced stats leaders after the season or something. We could definitely do something off-season-wise. Yeah, I'm here. All right, man. Thanks a lot. Catch you you got it, man. Reese's peanut butter cups are the greatest, but let me play devil's advocate here. Let's see. So, no, that's a good thing. Uh, <laughs> that's definitely not a problem. Uh, Reese's, you did it. You stumped this charming devil. The longest field goal ever attempted is 76 yards. The longest field goal ever missed? Also 76 yards. Why bring this up? Because knowing your limits matters, both when you're kicking a field goal and when you gamble. Betting more than you're comfortable with is like trying a 70-yard field goal. It probably won't go well. So set a limit when you gamble and stick to it. Want more helpful tips like this? Go to KeepItFunOhio.com for games, quizzes, and lots of ways to keep your gambling from getting out of hand.